Welcome to the FoxSportsFlorida.com Miami Heat podcast, and I'm your host, Surya Fernandez. Joining me this week is Sun Sentinel reporter Ira Winneman. How's it going, and how was your All-Star break? You know, it's going good. I sort of feel a bit refreshed after finally getting time like this off. Haven't been a while in seasons till the commissioner gave us an extra week. And uh, you know what? As good as it might be for me or not, and who cares, I think it's good for the Heat. I think it'll be really interesting to see how they come back. I think this team was so exhausted that I think it's one of the teams in the NBA that really will benefit from the break. Exactly. And I, and I think uh, no other player could benefit more than Dwayne Wade. Uh, he has taken a significant time by now to, to rest his hamstring. Uh, but, but regardless of that, should the Heat uh, maybe put him back on a maintenance plan or reduce his minutes, or can they really can't afford that? Yeah, I, I think your last statement hits it right on the head. They, there's 30 games left. It's a sprint to the finish. Even if the Heat finish at 15 and 15, they're going to be eight games under 500. I think what's going to be most fascinating about Dwayne's comeback after being out since you know the the end of February, February 27th after that game against Milwaukee, is the Heat resets their season with a back-to-back, playing on Friday in New York and Saturday home against New Orleans. I think we're going to have a real read on where Dwayne Wade stands after that game against the Pelicans because he's coming back for a back-to-back set. Is he up to that? Is he up to the rigors of the schedule? The Heat still have four back-to-back sets left to go in the remainder of the season. I think we will know where Dwayne Wade stands, honestly, probably by Sunday morning. How dangerous is this playoff situation for the Heat? Are they in true danger of missing the playoffs? Or do you think they can hold down that maybe seventh or eighth seed? Oh, I I think it's critical mass for the Heat. I mean, they Mm -hmm. have a more favorable home schedule, but they've made nothing of that to this point of the season. Half the teams they play, 15, have winning records. Half the teams they play, 15, have records under 500. So it's a relatively balanced schedule. They are not in great shape with many of the tiebreakers, most notably against Charlotte and where that stands right now, being down 1-2 in the season series. So when you look at this, the Heat probably will have to play better basketball over these final 30 games than, honestly, they've played at any time since the first week of the season. Yeah, it's and it's true, but, you know, they, they will be healthy, hopefully, right? Um, and, but we really haven't seen that, that trio of Wade, Bosch, and Whiteside playing together, and they looked really good against that game uh, against the Chicago Bulls last month. What, what is the potential for those three really being able to gel together, hopefully play a significant amount of minutes together? Yeah, you know, I never really overstate gelling. I, I think talent takes care of itself. So mm-hmm. I think if you can tell me over the final 30 games of the season that 30 times the Heat will roll out Chris Bosh, Dwayne Wade, Hassan Whiteside, and honestly, anybody, I think they'll be fine. But that hasn't been the case this season. And, and, yeah. and there's nothing to this point to lead us to believe that everything that's going to go wrong for the Heat is taken care of over the season's first 52 games and that they're in good shape going forward right now, we sort of have to see that. We have to see, you know how it works, about an hour before the game, the Heat release their starting lineup. We have to consistently see 60 minutes before tip-off, a lineup that has Whiteside, that has Wade, and that has Bosch. Because then I would agree, when you look back at the previous question, yes, the Heat have more talent than the six teams going to the final two spots in the Eastern Conference if they can roll out those three. But they haven't done that on a consistent basis to this point. And, and, and let's say they do make the playoffs. What is potentially the, the worst matchup for the Heat in the first round? What would be their most favorable? Because, you know, they, they, a lot of the players have playoff experience. I'm sure uh, the teams that will make the, the top seeds, 
maybe they don't fear the Heat, but I think they have to respect them, right? Well, I, I think we have to be honest and say they're playing for seven or eight. I think Milwaukee, the way they've distanced themselves, the fact that they have this 3-0 season tiebreaker on the Heat already. So yeah. we're really saying who's going to finish one, who's going to finish two. Mm-hmm. Well, by any metrics you can figure out, Atlanta is clearly the favorite to be number one. I think that number two spot comes down to Cleveland or Toronto. So if you look at it that way, I'd say of that three-team group, Atlanta, Toronto, Cleveland, the Heat did not want to play Cleveland. I just think P.C. LeBron James. And the whole carnival and circus that would ensue. And the fact is, there is no way LeBron James is going to let his team fall to the Heat. I think that's the one matchup they want to avoid. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of the people in Atlanta are saying that they're not getting enough respect when it comes to quantity because they don't have that one go-to player. I think that'd be the preference. I think settling into number eight and playing Atlanta might be the best of all worlds. And then I think Toronto and, and how they were in such good shape last year against Brooklyn and then how that came apart. I don't know if they're truly at this step where they're ready for that next step right now. I think the Heat could beat Atlanta or at least scare Atlanta in a series. I think the Heat could be competitive with Toronto in a series. I don't know how they would fare against LeBron James. I think that would probably be the worst of all potential worlds for them when you look at playoff matchups. Yeah, and I think I agree with you there. Um, looking as far as reinforcements go, uh, you know, we, we, and we talked about this player before in other podcasts, but Michael Beasley is back from China and mm-hmm. supposedly working out of Miami. And it's, it's no secret the bench has, has often struggled to score. And veterans like Danny Granger and maybe Sean Williams, they haven't really been consistent. Should the Heat show any interest in, in Beasley? Well, you know, I would usually summarily just come out and say, of course not. They tried that a couple of times already. Right. It didn't produce great results, but I was stunned the last time they brought him back. So That's I'm true. not going to make that mistake and fall into that trap this time. I just think, you know, think about what we've been talking about with injuries, with Wade, with Whiteside, with Bosch. The word, really the key word to the first 52 of the season has been continuity and lack of continuity. I don't think you want to move in any new pieces if you can avoid it. Mm-hmm. I think you want to go into these final 30 games and saying, hey, at worst, at least this team has been together, knows the system, knows this offense, knows this defense, which has changed since the last time that Michael Beasley was here. I think adding another piece and a major rotation player would be difficult. I think the whole thought is, okay, go in with this top five, seven, eight, nine players make it work through these final 30. Then if you want to look at a Beasley or, a, or someone else or rework the roster, that's what the offseason is all about. Would Michael Beasley be better than some of the players in the top eight or nine of the Heat's rotation? Sure, you can make that argument. We've all seen how Danny Granger has struggled since he had that minimal rebirth in December. But on the other hand, mixing in new pieces, who you have to have concerns about with chemistry issues also, that might be a bit of a stretch. So you're advocating that the Heat should just stay the course, and there's been enough uphe- roster upheaval, I, I suppose you could say, uh, during the season. So there, there aren't any other players that have maybe returned from China that could help the Heat? Oh, or... I, I think there's players that could help the Heat. Yeah. And, and I think if there's definitive ready-to-go NBA players that you can get at the trading deadline, you owe it to yourself for a move like that because you right. have to weigh really where the season is or isn't going and, and looking you know, to the future, that if a Goran Dragic is available from the Suns, mm-hmm. I don't think that he'd have 
the direct pieces for that. But if that's a possibility, I think you explore that. I think if a Reggie Jackson is available for Oklahoma City and you can also settle your future while improving your immediate present, I think you have to look at a situation like that. I think if an Aaron Aflalo was available in a fire sale from Denver and he would fit so many of your needs as a, mm-hmm. as, as a combo guard, as a scorer, a little bit of a defender, I think you have to look at that. I think the trading deadline will impact the Heat. I just don't think you make an ancillary move or a move that changes the structure of your team just for the short term. So I think there's a lot of intriguing names at the trading deadline. I don't know if the Heat, like I said, have the pieces, but I think when you're talking about a Drogic, when yeah. you're talking about a Reggie Jackson, when you're talking about a Naflalo, those are all names you would say to yourself the day after the trading deadline, your team would be better if you could get one of those three players. And there are also several intriguing players that could be bought out and waived from underperforming teams. We just see we've just seen Amari Stoudemire. Uh, he's going to be moving on from the New York Knicks and and joining the Dallas Mavericks. Is Miami still considered an attractive destination for for those kind of players? Like like maybe they were in the Big Three area, or will well, or will Pat Riley have a tough time upgrading his team this way? I'll tell you why they're attractive, and everyone's almost forgotten about this. And it's kind of interesting. They still have that $2.65 million exception right. from the disabled player exception from Josh McRoberts' knee injury and knee surgery. It expires March 10th. There is no reason not to spend that exception. Mm-hmm. If you think there's any player who upgrades your heat roster, unless you in your mind can wrap your mind around the fact that you're better off than Justin Hamilton as your 15th man than player X coming in. Mm-hmm. So when these guys get their buyout, then look at Stoudemire. He, he left $2 million on the table in order to leave the Knicks and go to the Mavericks. So if another player says, my team is not in the playoff race at all, I want to have one last chance, I'm looking for a buyout. We know what those teams are. Those are the teams out of the playoff race, the Knicks and then the 76ers in the Eastern Conference, maybe the Magic and, and Utah and, and Sacramento and the Lakers in the Western Conference. That if a player says, hey, the Heat might still be on the fringe of the playoff race, but it's a lot better than my reality right now, and I'm in the last year of a contract anyway. Yeah, I, I think the Heat will have an impact on the buyout market. And again, they're sitting there with $2.65 million, not only to spend, but $2.65 million that expire on March 10th. Right, yeah. And, and, and we mentioned the trade deadlines just a couple of days away. Beyond whether the Heat want to make any moves, do they really have much to offer the other teams. I mean, I know we've talked about maybe Birdman moving, but he's such an important part of the bench. Can they really upgrade without well, giving you know, up you, important you to, assets? You have to say to yourself, if you move a player, for example, like Birdman, who I've mm-hmm. been mentioning, only because I think for a playoff contender on a short-term rental might be what they want, maybe a Golden State wants another big, you have to have two parts to that. You have to say, okay, of course Birdman's a part of this. It's on white side, but there's foul trouble. But can we bring back a Samuel Dallenbear? Can we bring in an Andre Blotch for the rest of the season? In other words, for a player you might lose, might there be another replacement player on the market, either the buy-up market returning from overseas for another part of a, a two-part trade there? That's one part of it. The other part of it is, is there someone so tempting for your, forward, for your future going forward that you might say to yourself, hey, giving up Luau Dang is a lot, but a Goran Dragic or a Reggie Jackson might help us so much that we'll just place with that void at small forward because not only are we getting someone for this year, but we're also rebuilding our future, recasting our future, recasting our salary cap. So I think that's the part of it also. The Heat have chips they can put in play. 
It's a matter of what are they playing for? Are they playing for the moment? Are they playing for these playoffs? Are they playing for next year's roster? Or are they playing for clearing as much cap space as they can for 2016 free agency? So there's still, even with the trade deadlines approaching, still many moving parts in play. Yeah, and we're going to find all that out uh, soon enough. And and you mentioned uh, 2016. Can you explain to the listeners what the current contract situation is for Whiteside because it might be a little bit confusing for people he signed through next season but can you explain why the Heat really won't have an edge over any other team bidding for his services in that year basically if you're operating over the cap or bringing a player back to have bird rights of a major contract you have to have a player under contract for three years so Mm -hmm. the way Hassan Whiteside's contract is written he will only be a two-year Heat player after going into 2016 free agency the most that he can offer him in free agency that year without spending their cap money, their cap sort of, you know, cash that they're holding aside, would be the average player salary, about $6 million. The thought, of course, being the way Hassan is playing right now, another team would come in and bid far more. It's a matter of, could the Heat have offered a three-year contract to lock in that long-term Larry Bird right? Sure. But there was no reason for Hassan Whiteside to give them a three-year contract right. and be locked in that long. Could the Heat have done it as a one-year contract and let Hassan walk after that? Sure, they could have also, but their thought is we're getting a two-year bargain. So when you look at Hassan Whiteside and the other names available in 2016, whether it's an Anthony Davis, whether it's a Kevin Durant, the Heat will have to spend as much of their cap space to keep Whiteside as to go out and pursue any other player. The reality is this. If a player is not on your roster for three years prior to free agency, you really have no extra hold on that player unless he's been in the league three years or fewer. Mm-hmm. Well, the realities of the Sun White side in 2016, he will have spent two years with the Kings. He will have spent two years with the Heat. Therefore, he will not be a restricted free agent where the Heat can match any outside offers. It's just a matter of the timing when they got him, the risks that they were willing to take, the risks that he wasn't willing to take when he signed his contract. So what you're going to have to do is you're going to say, hey, the Heat are going to have $60 million or $30 million or $40 million in cash in 2016. How much of that do you want to allot to bring back Hassan Whiteside? How much of that would you rather spend on other players? He just becomes another player on your board that you have to assign a specific cash value. And and uh, well, and thank you for that explanation because I think it's a little confusing for some people. Um, what is what is the potential for Whiteside? I think we've seen enough from him by this point. Uh, he's he's a beast on on defense. He's shown a, a really nice soft shooting touch around the rim. Besides avoiding foul trouble, what else does Whiteside need to work on? Well, I think it's consistency. I think the sample yeah. size, and we have to remember, the sample size is really small. He didn't become a starter until mid-January mm-hmm. on that West Coast trip when he started at Golden State and has been out a little since then. So, I, you know, a sample size of a month is nice. But a sample size for a max contract in 2016 has to be a heck of a lot nicer. Right. So I think it's a situation where what you have to see from Whiteside is the same thing we've seen for the past month sample for another two, three, four, five, eight months to see the kind of player he is. There have been plenty of players in this league who've been terrific short-term, who've been one-season wonders, cast out, got their contract, and never been the same player. You see that all the time with players in contract years. So what the Heat has to see consistently and with consistency from Hassan Whiteside is going into 2016 in the offseason, when he will have been with the Heat for a year and a half in a major role, 
that will be enough of a sample. Can he continue it through then? There's no science right now that he can't, but this is a league of adjustments. This is a league that goes to school on players. This is a league where all of a sudden opponents will be fronting him more and doubling him more mm-hmm. and bumping him on the cuts through the lane a little bit more and getting physical and taking hard fouls and taking flagrant fouls. We haven't seen the full Monty yet against the side white side. That's what you've got to see. Can he get through the gauntlet and come out successfully on the other side? Very true, very true. All right, Ira, thanks again one more one more time. Uh, and we have 30 more games to, to see how all this uh, plays out. Um, we'll, we'll definitely talk again before, that, before the season ends. Well, they've got to go 19-11 and 11 to reach 500. I think that might be a bit much, but I think it will be a fascinating final 30 games. Appreciate I, the time. I thanks. agree. Thank you so much again.